Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. We're studying James 4.9, which calls us to repentance and says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. We know there are some sins in our lives where we, we need to take them much more seriously than we usually do. They should bring tears to our eyes, but they never really do. What can you do in those times when you know you should be broken before God, but you're just not? So how do you know when the sin that you have committed is so devastating that it calls for this extreme crushing brokenness and sorrow like James is describing? You can tell if you have lingering guilt feelings, if you have distance from God, lack of intimacy with God, lack of joy in the Lord, repetitive failure, ineffective ministry, or unforgiveness. So you might sit there and think, okay, yeah, I got some of that. I got some of those symptoms. I definitely have the infection. I need more thorough repentance. I think the piece I'm missing is this contrition, this sorrow, this brokenness. But how do I get that? Because, because how do I, how, if I know I should feel broken and sorrowful and weeping and everything, but the, my eyes are dry. Tears aren't there. What can I do to bring about this sadness? Scripture has so much to say about that. For example, fasting, Psalm 35, 13, is one way. Another way to, to, to break your heart is, is to let the sadness of, of consequences of sin serve as trading wheels to teach your heart how to grieve over the sin itself. Just lots of things. Scripture gives us numerous ways to, to do that. But since we can't cover all that, let's just focus on James. What does James say in the, book, in the context of this book? about how to bring sorrow to a, to a proud, unbroken heart. There's three things that stood out to me in the book as I was looking over it. Uh, the first is humbly receive the word. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 21. Humbly receive the word. Just let it hit you. One of the purposes of the law of God is to convict of sin, right? To, 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 to open our eyes to the problem of sin. And it will do that if we humbly accept what it says instead of resisting it and making excuses. So let your guard down and let passages like verse 8, James 4, 8, do their job. When he just says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Just let it, don't, don't, don't try to hold that off. He's not calling us names here for fun. He's trying to help us come to a point of sorrow. He's trying to help us. He calls us double-minded. The double-minded are those people back in chapter 1, verse 8, who shouldn't think they will receive anything from the Lord. And the word sinners is a a word normally used to describe unbelievers, right? Usually you you don't see that word describing believers. We know this passage is talking to believers because back in verse 4 he called us adulteresses. Unbelievers can't commit adultery against God because they're not the bride of Christ. So he's talking to believers, but he uses these terms typically used for unbelievers to wake us up to the startling, crushing reality that we're behaving like unbelievers when we're in unrepentant sin. If you want to have sorrow over sin, let those kinds of rebukes just penetrate your heart. Let them hit you hard. And just let go of the excuses, let go of the justifications, the comparisons with other people, I'm not as bad as him and her and everything, and and get rid of all that and just submit to the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit through the law of God. 
Very often we don't feel proper sorrow over sin because we're, we've, we've racked up so many excuses that it's sin, it just doesn't seem that bad to us. Well, yeah, I know I'm, I'm blowing it here, but this and but that and but this, that and this and that. And, then, and by the time we're done with that, we, we, we don't feel broken. Let God's word demolish your excuses. Secondly, confess your sin. Say it. Say it. The Greek word for confess literally means to say the same thing. When you confess your sin, speak about the sin the same way the Bible speaks about it. Say the same thing as the Bible says about it. And that has an awakening effect on the, the conscience. It wakes you up to the seriousness of the, of the matter and the ugliness of the sin. Instead of saying, just, God, I blew it again. You know what I did. No, say it. Articulate what you did in biblical terminology. What does the Bible say about that sin? It has a very, very powerful effect on the soul when you say it. And until you do that, the guilt will just eat away. Until you confess, guilt will just eat away at you. Uh, that happened to David, Psalm 32, 3. says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then you forgave the guilt of my sin. Forgiveness didn't come until the confession came. So confess, and confess to God, and, but not just to God, confess to people. Turn just a page over, look at James 5, look at the very end of the book of James, verse 16. If you really want to bring your heart, I mean, if you're serious about repentance and you really want to bring your heart low to a point of deep sorrow and contrition over sin, confess it to other people. That's when the healing will come. James connects it to healing. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When you confess your sin just to God, but not to people, that, that won't bring the sorrow. But if you, if you say it to people, that'll awaken the conscience. The feelings of shame that come when you're talking to this person and now they know you said it to another human being, and now there's that shame. Let that feeling help convict your heart and bring about the sorrow that you need to have. Now the fact that these people, they know about your sin, they know what you're like, they know what you did, and from now on they're going to have that knowledge of you ongoing, that can help guard you from pride, can it? That'll keep you from getting too puffed up because too many people know what I'm really like. And then a third way, another way to, to, to teach your heart to be grieved and how to mourn over sin is by, by thinking carefully about what is it that I have forfeited by doing this sin? What have I lost? Back in verse 6, James says that God gives grace to the humble, which implies that when I'm proud, I'm forfeiting that grace that I could have had. Jonah 2.8 says those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. What a thought that is. Sometimes people rationalize their dry eyes by saying, well, you know, I'm just not an emotional person. This is me. I don't, I'm not a crier. I guess, I, you know, I guess there's just something wrong with my, my crier. Chances are your crier is just fine. If, if you suffered a big enough loss, the tears would be there. They would. Tears and sorrow are simply an indication of how precious the thing is that we lost. 
You lose your favorite pen, you might feel a little bit sad. You lose your house and all your possessions and everything else, then that'll hit you a little harder. What if you lose your health? You know, the doctor says it's cancer. You've got six months. It's going to be the most painful six months you've ever had. That'll affect your emotions. Or what if it's your five-year-old child that gets that diagnosis? You lose something precious enough, the grief, the brokenness, the tears, they'll, they'll come. So what do, you, what do you do if your emotions don't properly reflect the value of the thing that you lost? If that happens, the goal isn't to try to adjust your emotions. The goal is to adjust your values, right? All your emotions are doing are telling you the truth about how much your heart values that thing. If there's not enough emotion, it's just because that thing isn't very valuable in your heart. You need to train your heart to see how valuable it is. And if there's too much emotion, then that means you're, that thing's too valuable. You lose your favorite pen and become suicidal. Well, you, gotta, you don't just adjust your emotions. You, you adjust your heart's connection to that pen. That's too much. On the other hand, if someone dies and that has no impact at all on your emotions, then what does that tell you? It tells you that it wasn't that much of a loss to you. When I sin, I lose a lot. I lose progress and sanctification. I lose effectiveness in ministry. I lose access to grace. I lose God's blessing on my life, Psalm 1. And the most disastrous of all, I lose intimacy with God for a while, maybe a long while. Those are the kinds of things I lose when I choose to disobey God. So what determines how much sorrow I'm going to feel over that? Two factors. Number one, am I aware of what I'm losing? And number two, how valuable is that stuff that I'm losing in my heart? Do you need to take any of these steps? Humbly accept the word, confess your sin to people so that it will cause real feelings of shame and sorrow, and realize what grace you're forfeiting when you commit that sin? It might be a good idea to write that last one out. Take some time today to put pen to paper and list out the gifts of God's grace that are forfeited when you fall into that besetting sin. Every hour of every day, Father, you shower me with different forms of your grace. Many of them come even while I'm sinning against you. But I also know that many of your gifts of grace are forfeited when I sin. I forfeit closeness with you. My next prayer time will be less intimate, harder to focus, less satisfying. My heart will be drier than it would have been. My soul will be emptier. The next time I'm able to really connect with you and feel your presence might be weeks or months away now instead of days or hours like it might have been. Maybe you had blessings of good health in mind for me that now you're going to have to withhold. Maybe financial blessings Maybe my family relationships would have been better. The mountains would have struck me as more majestic. I would have noticed a wonderful cool breeze that now I'll be distracted and be oblivious to it. Maybe you had in mind grace to give me uplifted happy moods, and now I won't have them. 
The scope and variety of your gifts of grace are more numerous than the stars of the sky. Who can count them? Such thoughts are too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Oh, the depth of the riches of your kindness and generosity in dispensing your grace. Remind me a dozen times today, Lord, that your love is better than life. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.